Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. This morning, we are going to be concluding our series on Sermon on the Mount. There's more in the book of Matthew. I'm not going to be able to cover all of it, but we're going to be ending it so that we can begin the Advent next week. And so you can open up to Matthew chapter 7. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about large groups going out to eat, helping an addict, Toy Story, the animated series, the comfort of mathematics, and buying insurance. But let's start with Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this is going in line with all that he's been talking about. Remember, last week we talked about how that we can really trust God, that we would seek first his kingdom. And now he goes to this place of not judging, and we think, how do these fit together? But they really do. Have you ever gone out to eat at a nice restaurant and there's a large group of people? Say you have like 15, 20 people. Right. And the waitress, you can tell the adrenaline's rush, rushing in because she's got this huge group of people. And then everyone puts their order in. Right. Everyone says what they want and they give the waitresses going around taking the order. And then when the food is prepared, you have all these servers that come because they've got all these meals for all these people. And then what they start doing is they start naming the meal that they have, and then you're supposed to say, oh, that's mine. That's what you're supposed to do, right? There's always people who aren't listening. But when they say, you know, shrimp portofino, I raise my hand and said, that's mine. I'll take that. And then the other person, hot dog, is like, okay, poor, sorry person. You get yours. But when I get my meal, then I don't have to worry about the other meals, Because mine was taken care of. I did my part. I ordered. I raised my hand. I got my meal. The other people have to do the same thing for themselves. It is not my job to raise my hand for someone else's meal. They're supposed to do that. And hopefully they do so that everyone can start eating. Right? If I am taken care of, if I'm seeking God's kingdom, if I am trusting in the Lord with my life, then I can trust God to help 
the other life. And I don't need to be in charge. Let me say that again, just for myself, right? I don't need to be in charge. Any parents here? Repeat after me. I don't need to be in charge. That's revolutionary if we could grasp hold of it. Some of you are cringing, even as I said, no, someone's got to be in charge, right? He's trying to help us understand how we can have this superior righteousness that he talked about. Remember, he he talked about hypocrisy, the potential problem we might have with God where we think we have to do things to please people, but that's not how it works with God. He, He talked about the anxiety, the problems that we have with things, not having enough things and it creates anxiety. And he says, don't worry, God knows what you need before you ask. And now he's telling us about judging the problem that we have with other people. The word that Jesus uses here for judge is the word in Greek, krino. I don't like usually saying words in Greek because who's going to remember that anyway? But the point is this word has multiple meanings. It can mean separate. It can mean evaluate. It can mean discern. It can mean condemn. And the way you find out what the word means is the context that it's used in. And so here, the way Jesus is using it in a negative sense, telling us not to do this, we know that it isn't discern because discerning is a good thing. We know it's not evaluate. And so we know it means condemn. And he's telling us, don't condemn. Don't condemn others. Why do we condemn others? Why? What is the benefit we get when we condemn others? Any ideas? Feel secure? What is that? Bad drivers? Well, well, not why we do condemn, but what is the point we get? Exactly. We feel better, right? When I condemn someone else, it makes me feel better. Those people... But here I have the security of of feeling better. And so I don't need to condemn others to make myself feel better. Now, it doesn't mean that I condone, right? I don't have to condemn, but I also don't have to condone. I don't have to agree with what something someone's doing. It's not putting me in that place where I have to agree with everything that's there. Again, that comes more into discernment. The idea of condemning is I'm passing judgment on this person that isn't mine to pass. It's not up to me to condemn somebody. And it doesn't help me when I do. He goes on and he gives an illustration and it's really rather humorous. And I think it was meant to be. He says... Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is almost slapstick, right? This is kind of like Laurel and Hardy or the Three Stooges or I don't know, that's my era. Whatever else is there, you know, um, dumb and dumber. I don't know. This is one of those things where it's like it's humorous. You know, how can you take a speck out of someone's eye when you got a log in your, you're going to turn and knock them over, right? It's just humorous. And the whole point is you're unable to do that because you're already blinded by the things that are going on in your life. So you're not in a position to condemn someone when you're in a position that's blind. When you're unable to see these things. And he's trying to help us understand the futility of condemning other people. You can't do it. You don't know them. You don't know their circumstances. You are not aware of all the things that are going on to make that judgment. Even though you might think you do. And the whole point is we don't want that coming back on us, do we? We don't like it when someone condemns us and we say, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the difficulty. You don't know what's going on in my life. But we don't ask or say those things when it's concerning someone else. And then he goes on in verse 6 and he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What the heck is going on, right? It's like, okay, and then Jesus goes where? Now, again, this is a very cultural thing. The idea of dogs and the pigs, it's talking about those who are outside, those who are not a part of what was Israel or considered family. And what he's trying to help us understand is not everyone is going to get the help. There's been a few times in my life where I have tried to help someone who's an addict. And the thing you have to know about people who are addicted is you can't help them recover if they don't want recovery. And a lot of times what you can do is actually enable them to stay in their addiction. You know, you provide a bed for them and you provide food for them and they take the money that they would have to spend on those things and they go and they buy the drugs or whatever it is, right? And so there's been a few times where you have to kind of stop and say, I can't help you continue in your addiction, and I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. You, you don't help someone who doesn't want help. You don't try to give to someone who is not wanting to take. Otherwise, they're going to turn on you. It's going to backfire on you. They're not going to appreciate it. You're going to get upset with them, and it's going to turn into a problem. So he says, you don't have to do this just because... It's a good thing to do. People have to want the good that comes into their life. And it's important that we recognize these things because when we say don't judge, don't condemn, 
immediately our minds start to race to all these other areas of discernment, uh, of other areas where how am I supposed to deal with this situation? And we don't have to worry about all those things. I've listened to a few studies this week as I was looking at this passage and I got so frustrated because every one of them turned this passage upside down and talked about what it didn't mean. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, don't do it. Well, you know, we are to tell people the truth and we are to tell people this and we are to tell people. And it's like, he just said, don't judge anyone. And now you're judging all these people. Don't you get it? That's not your job to do that, but you can offer them good. If they don't take it, you don't cast the pearl before the swine. You don't have to push because pushing usually does not work. At least it hasn't in my experience. It doesn't work with me. If you want to be pushy with me, I'll tell you right now, don't. Okay? And I won't with you. I just want the shrimp portofino. (laughs) Right? That's mine. What did you get? Hot dog? Okay. Enjoy. We have to stop wanting to control. Because we're not in control. We just came from the place where seek first God's kingdom, trust him for your daily needs. And now I'm wanting to control what's happening around me. Verse 7, a very familiar verse. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Again, these are familiar verses But we need to step back and look at the whole canvas because we can't just take this out of context and and try to make this something that applies to everything. The first half of chapter 6, he talked about why we don't need to be hypocrites because God knows what's going on inside us. We just need to please God and not people. Right? The second half of chapter 6, he told us how we don't need to be anxious because our Father knows what we need before we even ask. The first few verses here in chapter 7, he talks about we don't need to judge others. And here is why. Because God is enough. You see, there's no need to condemn anybody to make ourselves feel better if we already know how God feels about us. You don't have to condemn someone to make yourself feel better if you really know how God feels about you. And now that's what Jesus is starting to unfold. How does God feel about me? What is God's posture towards me? What does God want to do in my life? What do I have to do to make God move? What hoops do I have to jump through? What rules do I have to follow? What church do I have to go to? Do I have to go to church? How much do I have to pray? And Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. He's trying to help us understand that this is the characteristics of that person who is seeking first the kingdom of God, right? The the person who is filling out the Beatitudes and all the things that we, we read. This is one who is learning to seek. 
is learning to ask. Someone who, who wants to live as close to God as possible. And Jesus is teaching his disciples that if they desire to walk with God, they need to ask. If they desire to know God, they need to seek. And that's what they need to do. They have to want to. Just like the addict who wants to get clean has to want to get clean and nothing happens until the want to is there. And this idea of seeking is continuous through scripture. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's not saying that you have to, you know, go far and wide. It's just you have to want to. And when you want to, guess what? You will find me. Because he is there. And in the Greek, this is an imperative action where it's not just you ask, you seek, you knock. But it's a continual asking, a continual seeking, a continual knocking. I have to continually ask God. I have to continually seek God. I have to continually knock on that door. Why? Because that's life. That's how my experience has been. I don't ask God once, God, can you help me out? God, show me, reveal yourself to me. That's something that I have to do daily. That's something that I have needs that come up daily. I have situations where we have to seek God today. And I have to do it again tomorrow. And I have to do it again the day after. It's a continual process. This is a a lifestyle. And and this is true with God and it's true with so many things. If you want to be a good musician, you just don't read one book and then you say, yeah, I learned some chords. I'm a good musician now. No, you have to practice. You have to learn. You have to apply yourself. And that's with anything that you do. If you don't continue pushing towards that, you will only get so far. Do you think it's any different in our relationship with God or your relationship with one another? Why do so many relationships fail? Because they stop asking. They stop seeking. They stop knocking. They stop inquiring of that other person about their life. And they just think, okay, I know you. I married. I said, I love you 10 years ago. It should last a long time. I meant it. Really? I did. If I don't say it today, then yesterday starts to mean less and less. If I don't seek God today, saying a prayer five years ago, doesn't mean a lot. If I don't ask God for direction, guidance, wisdom today, then whatever I did yesterday starts to go off the rails. I I start to lose the momentum. I, I start to withdraw instead of move forward. There's never a time that God is not accessible to those who seek. There's never a time that God isn't there for those who ask. There's never a time that God isn't on the other side of that door wanting to open for those who knock. And and so he he brings that point out even clearer in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, 
Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And he's illustrating God's willingness to participate. You know, years ago when we first saw the first Toy Story movie, it was so much fun because it was this whole imaginary world of what if our toys actually had character and what if there was this whole world where they had feelings and they knew, you know, they really did know Andy because they played with him every day, all these things, right? And it was so fun to have that imagination. And I think most of us have played with toys and developed those characters, right? And the whole idea is, yeah, this one is this and this one's this and the Buzz has this character and Andy or, you know, anyway. The other ones have the other characters, right? There's things that I know about God. Not because of my ability to observe and see, but because creation And God's handiwork in creation are actually a part of who I am. I'm part of that creation. I'm part of this story. So I have the ability to know things about God that's inside knowledge, not because I get to see it and study it, but because it's already there in me. Just like Andy's name was written on the foot, right on that boot, God's name is written on our hearts. He's imprinted his image on us. And so we have this ability to understand God. And what Jesus does here is very powerful. There's two words that he says, if you, if you would do this for your child. And he's telling us that there is something that you do. And it's something that you can understand that God does. What parent doesn't want to see their child do well? Don't even get me going on grandchildren. Man, grandchildren, there's something else. But I don't know any parent. I know there's some out there, they're the exception, but most parents, what they want is their kids to excel. They want their kids to do well. That's why we try to control it. And if you want that for your kid, that's just a little insight to what God wants for you. Do you understand? He's asking you to ask. He wants you to seek and to knock. Because when your child comes up and asks for bread, you don't give them a rock and say, not on this for a while. They ask for a fish. You don't give them a serpent. If you ask for direction in your life, God is not going to steer you wrong. Now, sometimes we ask for things that we don't need. My kids did it all the time. And you say, God, you know, I, I need this. I need some companionship. I'm lonely. I need someone in my life. And God says, no, you need me right now so you can be the person ready for companionship. 
Or God, uh, I need this to satisfy something in my life. And God says, no, you, you need to be hungry right now because that hunger is going to do something meaningful in your life. And you see what Jesus is pushing us to do is to actually trust. Can you actually trust God that he knows what you need before you ask that he's wanting to give good things to you, that he wants to care for you? Can you actually trust? Because this is the characteristics of the person who's living in those beatitudes, the person who is following after God in this way. This is how we trust. God can be trusted to be a good father and, and infinitely more. And Jesus wants to make our heavenly father real to us. He's trying to help us to see the reality of who God is, as real as the anxieties that cripple me, as real as the fears that haunt me. There's a God who cares for me, but I will go after the things that make me anxious. I will feed into the fears. I will meditate on those things and allow them to take my life, but I won't ask. I won't seek. I won't knock. I will give into the temptations to let these other things start to control my life. And God is saying, knock. I'm here. Seek me. You will find me, but you got to look for me. Just ask so that you can know. And it's important that we recognize these things because Jesus wants that to be a reality in our life. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, he comes back around. This is kind of what verses 1 and 2 has said, right? Don't judge lest you're going to be judged. And he says, do to others. This is the golden rule, what you would have them do to you. You know, how do you want to be judged? I want grace, right? Well, then be gracious. How do you want to be treated? That's how you need to treat others. And what does this have to do with trusting God? What does treating other people well and being merciful towards other people have to do with my interaction with God? And I think it's important to to notice clearly that this sums up the law and the prophets, right? In chapter 5, verses 17 and 19, Jesus announced that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It was in that context that he introduced the need for this superior righteousness, one that exceeded that of the Pharisees. There's a a deeper level to this law than the rules on the surface and a deeper place in us than mere compliance to rules. He's trying to write the law in our hearts. And so Jesus closes the circle that he began in chapter 5 or 17. And in doing so, he gives us a simple formula for filling, fulfilling the law and the prophets, which is just profound. When you think about all that people did to study, to know the law and to try and keep it and all the little regulations that they made so that they can keep it perfectly. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what to do. Treat others the way you want to be treated there. Okay. Dinner, let's go, ready. It's like, what? He'll say that again later. He'll say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength when he was asked by 
a lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? He says, these are the greatest commandments, and on them hang the whole law and the prophets. Do we understand that in the scriptures, loving is synonymous with treating? That when you love, you actually do? That it's not just a feeling, it's not just an emotion. John would say, little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That it's when we actually care and treat people kindly that we are fulfilling all that God's intention was for us. That we have no relationship with God without a relationship with our neighbor. Oh man, why did he have to say that? That just ruins everything. I could have such a great relationship with God if I didn't have to have a relationship with anyone else. If it was just me and God, we'd be great. But it doesn't work that way. In fact, the relationship I have with God is directly connected to the relationship I have with others. And he says it time and time again. You know, life is complicated. There's so many things that take place and, and there's so little that is clear. But then you have mathematics, right? Two plus two equals four. As far as I know, I don't know the new math, what's going on. If they found it to be different, I'll be di- disappointed. But I, I think math has this sum total where these things add up and they equal this. And then there's this comfort that you get when you know, yes, this is math. It's going to come up to this solution. This is the sum total. This is the bottom line. This is either right or it's wrong. There's comfort in knowing those things. None of this, you know, other stuff. Well, it depends on this and it depends on how they're, you know, they were raised and it depends on, on the, you know, perspective of this, you know, culture. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I just want something clear. This is clear. This is where we get clarity. The bottom line, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Do not judge lest you be judged. Do not condemn. There. That clear enough. But then, okay, so it's clear. But it ain't easy. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Again, we have to step back and look at the whole canvas, because this verse does not stand alone. This verse is connected to all the things that we've just been looking at. Right, This gate that Jesus is speaking about here is dealing with the context of how we treat others. And this is difficult. It's a hard thing. It's a lot easier to not worry about people. It's a lot easier to not care about people so much where my caring is treating, is doing, is loving, not just in word, but in deed and in truth, is actually giving time to help someone. That's what we're trying to do this whole Advent, right? We're trying to stop the need. I love you. Here's a present. That's not love. You... You gave something, but you didn't give yourself. Well, I thought about the present. It's not the same. 
But it's a lot easier to buy a present than it is to have a conversation. It's a lot easier to do other things than it is to actually step in and have the hard conversations, the hard talk, and deal with those things. Let's talk about relationships, right? Oh, God, I hate it when my wife says, we need to talk. Because we do. But it's not going to be easy. She's going to tell me something about me that I'm not going to want to hear. But I need to hear if I really want to step deeper into the relationship with her. See, the wide gate is not caring. The wide gate is following the letter, but not the spirit of the law. The wide gate is doing all the things that are seeming right without actually giving of ourselves. The formula is simple, but doing it is difficult. It's like buying insurance, right? You buy insurance with hope you'll never need it, but you buy it just in case. And you're purchasing a peace of mind so that we can say, I'm insured. If something happens, I'm covered. And I just pay the premiums. And it seems like Jesus is an insurance policy for so many of us. We, we pay the premiums. We, we go to church, right? We, we make donations. We volunteer for things. We, we give our money. We do our prayer. All these things without seeking first the kingdom. Without a trust that is so real that if God didn't exist, we couldn't exist either. Jesus is giving us this invitation, and it's, it's a pretty hard one to take. The invitation to the narrow road leading through the small gate, the entrance to the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. But don't try to start with the narrow gate. Start with the relationship. Start with the one who cares about you and is inviting you into this life that is really consuming. Because there really is no way around it. If you are going to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus said it this way, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and then follow me. And that's sober. And that's challenging and that's commanding of us. But that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not people who condemn. It's not people who think they know all the right things and tell people all the right, wrong things they're doing. It's people who actually care enough to step into lives to try and help people. It, it is seeking God. It is asking of God. It is knocking. It's a continual relationship that is inquiring more and more so that we can grow in relationship to God. If we seek him, these things will be added to us. If we seek him and this dynamic, then it will consume our lives. And you see, this is speaking to me, and I hope it's speaking to you. This wide gate isn't for all those people who don't believe in Jesus. It's for all those people who say they do, 
but aren't living like Jesus. And sometimes I just do not live like Jesus. How about you? Sometimes I'm happy to go on the wide gate because it's a lot easier. I'm going to travel the path of least resistance. I, I don't want more. I want less. I want easy. I don't want difficult But life is difficult. People are difficult. And God has called us to the difficult. And it's going to take effort. And it's going to take want to. And if we want to, it's there for us. If we ask God, I need bread. He's not going to give me a stone. He's going to give me shrimp portofino. says, just... Do your part. Follow after me. I'll give you what you need so that you can be there for the others. I watched this movie. I forget what it was called. It was about some hitman. Uh, It was a heartwarming movie. Uh, He had a family, right? He had lived this dual life. It was like the Iceman or something like that. He, he would kill people during the day for the mafia groups, and then he'd go home to his family who he loved. And he killed like hundreds of people. And it was just interesting because in one of these things, he told this guy who was, you know, who he's going to kill, and, he goes, and the guy was crying out to God. He goes, oh, God, you're calling out to God? I'll tell you what, I'll give you a half hour. You can pray to God to stop me. If he does, then you'll live, Right? And it's like, oh, gosh, that's brutal, right? And it was just this heart-wrenching thing and awful. And it got me just thinking, oh, God, you know? (laughs) Oh, there I am. But you see, God doesn't work like that. He works in us. He works through people. He works through how we interact and then shows up and carries things further than we can. He's there and he's working and he does the miraculous. But the miraculous begins with us. When Jesus said, these things and greater things you will do, what are the greater things that we're going to do? But actually continue what he was doing and allowing it to be the reality in our lives. And so in this whole sermon, this is the challenge. You're as close to God as you want to be. And if you don't feel you're close, do you really want to be closer? If you do, you need to ask. Because he wants to be closer. You need to seek. Because you'll find ways to be closer. You need to knock because he'll open the doors so that you can be closer. The problem isn't God being distant. The problem is our hearts being complacent. And do we want them to change? Let's pray. Father, these words have struck me pretty hard this past week and Lord, I don't want to be heavy-handed in all the things that I'm sharing, but I pray that the reality of what you spoke through these words would be a reality to us, that we would take them to heart and we would allow them to do a deep work within us, God. That we would understand, Father, that if we find our all in you, if we are 
seeing ourselves complete in you, then we don't have to be hypocrites, present ourselves to be something that we're not. We don't have to be anxious, worrying about things that you are going to care for. We don't have to be judgmental because as you care for us, you will care for them. But what we do need to do is allow you to be a priority in our lives. And I pray that we would do that. I pray, God, for the want to in my heart, the want to be like Jesus, that would say no to all the easier things to do that just aren't quite real. The love that is shallow, the the Christianity that is complacent, the, the prayers that are selfish, the Christmas season that has so little to do with you that I would not get lost in all these things and I would step into what's more. I would step into what's real and I would allow the God who created me, who knows me, to change me. It's my prayer. In your name, Jesus. Let's stand together. You know, I'm sorry if it came a little heavy and hard this morning. Uh, it was not my intention to make everyone bummed out. Um, but I hope that we will all be challenged by the incredible love of God the reckless love of God, that we would not let the lies that we tell ourselves to stop us from the relationship that God wants to have with us. And may you hear the words of Jesus. If you know how to do good for those you love, know that God wants to do good for you. May you seek him. May you ask help in your areas of need. May you knock on every door until he opens and blesses you with his presence. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy your family. Remember this season. Let's make it about Jesus. Again, remember the Advent. Remember to help the healthy start children out there. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.